everybody, y'all. Welcome to the January Exchange Chat. I'm Yusra Iftikhar, your 2019-2020 APTA Student Assembly Director of Communications. Um, we want to know who's joining us on the chat tonight. So shout out your name, year, school in the comments below, whether you're a DPT student, PTA student, fresh PT, which this will be particularly relevant for you, and all others, DPTs, PTAs, etc. Um, I am super excited, especially as a third year, because tonight we're going to be discussing the transition from being a student to the clinician life. And I'm especially excited because I get to interview one of my friends, Will Stokes. Um, but before I have Will introduce himself, if you haven't been part of a hashtag exchange SA chat before, or even if you have, remember that you can interact here on Facebook Live and post your questions down in the comments below. And or there's a Twitter conversation going on right now and you can follow the hashtag hashtag exchange SA for that. A couple of announcements real quick. Remember that if you're a student and an APTA member, that makes you an automatic member of the APTA Student Assembly. Your Student Assembly Board of Directors is the student leadership group that represents your interests and will be hosting a yummy breakfast and a general membership meeting on Thursday, February 13th at 7 a.m. in the Convention Center at CSM. At the meeting, there are going to be updates on what's to come for this year via our strategic plan and a really important vote that you can participate in if you're an APTA member. That vote will be on the Student Assembly bylaws, which include a change in the voting process for the Student Assembly Board of Directors at the 2020 National Student Conclave. Also, registration for Federal Advocacy Forum is now open. And as just a reminder, the APTA Pulse blog is a great way to stay up to date on what PT and PTA students are doing and thinking around the country. We're always looking for contributors um, to the blog. So for more information or to submit a piece, email pulse at APTA.org. All right, it's time to introduce our guest for the evening. Um, everybody, please help me to welcome Will Stokes. And Will is honestly enough of a character that I'm just going to let him introduce himself. Hey, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Will Stokes. I'm a early professional uh, physical therapist. I graduated from Wingate University, which is uh, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I graduated in 2016. So I've been out for a couple a uh, couple years so far. Got some familiar faces on here. That's great. That's great. Um, I have been very involved in the um, APTA NC, which is the North Carolina chapter of APTA, as well as the APTA. Um, been very involved as a student and continued that involvement as a clinician. And uh, we'll get into it a little bit later on, but you'll see how that involvement in all kinds of aspects definitely helps smooth out a lot of that transition and stuff like that. Um, uh, to make it pretty, pretty, pretty personal, user and I are good close friends and she's actually got to see firsthand how some of that networking involvement has really helped her in her own transition, getting ready for her to be able to kind of transition to that full time, full duty physical therapist role here soon. So, uh, but appreciate for having me. This is great. Yeah, of course. It's funny because I was trying to think about when we first met and I think, the moment we became friends was APTA House of Business. So it only took us going from the same same state halfway across the country to Chicago to uh, finally start talking. Yes, um, yes, yes. Have like small world. Yes. Um, okay. So you talked about how we're going to be talking about transitioning from student to clinician. I'm the student. You're the clinician now. So talk to me a little bit about um, you said you graduated in 2016. So tell me about your transition. You said you're very involved as a student. So tell me how that played into it. Was your transition pretty smooth and easy, or did you have some bumps along the way as well? It, 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 a little bit of both. Um, like I said, being I, I've tried to put my hand in about anything APTA related since the first day of PT school. Uh, like many of us very active um, students, you know, you get that bug and it just takes on. Um, I knew I had a general idea about at least where I wanted to be as a physical therapist. And I mean, as a student, I was like, great. I, I know I at least have some time. Uh, I don't have to have the answer done now, but at least I, I would like to get a general idea. Well, thankfully with my involvement, you know, going to these meetings, going to being able to get uh, little scholarships to attend, you know, national meetings. And of course our state meetings, I was able to kind of see what really is out there. And just by getting out and seeing all the different types of clinics, the types of, of uh, companies and hospitals in different settings that at least gave you a good idea um, from just your own personal experience to know. Because, I mean, you know, when you're in school, it, it you get at least exposed to a lot of that. But being able to actually 
meet people from a multitude of different settings and getting their honest opinion about what it's like, that took a lot of stress and a lot of weight off my shoulders. Um, So I knew at least going into my third year rotation, um, I I knew I wanted to at least do something in orthopedics, uh, sports related. Um, And so having uh, networked and and got some connections, I was able to get two great outpatient rotations back to back, both with uh, a lot of specialists and, and orthopedic fellows and just good, good learning environments. And if I didn't have that networking, I probably wouldn't have that. Uh, good of a of an opportunity, but what happened was, as we were nearing the end of my rotation uh, and graduation coming up pretty quick, then I was pretty able to kind of say, okay, you know, I can I can take advantage of these opportunities and at least get my kind of general um, career path down pat. Mm-hmm. And so that was one less thing I had to worry about. Um, I was able to really hone in on some skills and some. Uh, all that communication and a lot of that multitasking, you know, that administrative things. I think a, a lot of us, uh, that's one big thing you kind of experience when you transition into a clinician is, you know, yeah, you've got your, your actual clinic duties, but a lot of us have some administrative things. And, you know, if you've got any PTAs or if you've got any uh, uh, interns or technicians, you know, you've, you've got to kind of learn quickly how to, uh, how to help, uh, work with them and kind of collaborate with them and delegate things as you need to. And so being able to kind of practice those things that way, once graduation came, I already had at least a, a good little bit of experience doing that. So I, the comfort level was, was definitely there. Uh, you know, I think one thing that kind of stresses a lot of us out in that transition is that, that kind of uncomfortable nature of like, Oh my goodness, I've, I've got this responsibility. I've got a lot of this stuff I need to kind of at least do. I'm responsible for it. I'm expected to do that. But being able to have those experiences made that transition much, much, much smoother. Yeah, absolutely. So you talked about a lot of different experiences there. Um, I want to hit on the mentorship side of things. But going Mm -hmm. back to you being super involved in meetings, I'm just super curious. Do you have a favorite meeting? Um, they've all, all of them are great. Um, (laughs) one year when we went to CSM for, uh, in Indianapolis, Mm -hmm. that was probably three or four years ago. If if my memory, uh, holds true, we landed in Indy when it was about 70 degrees and it dropped to about 20 the same night. Um, a little Southern boy like myself didn't take any winter clothes and all of a sudden we're in a, a blizzard in Indianapolis. And, uh, that was fun just because we were not prepared. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I think my first one would probably be the best. And that was when next was in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And that was the same year that my program Wingate was, uh, was, was founded. So mm-hmm. that being kind of our home conference, we really took advantage of that. Our entire school, my entire class came all the faculty, of course, and I was able to kind of really get to see, and that was the first year that it was the next conference. Okay. Um, next expo. That was the first year that they transitioned into the to the next exposition, um, and so being able to kind of see everything APTA, um, all the new and innovative things that, that was going on, but but being there only a few months into school, it was like you know just a whirlwind. But but that kind of initially started my my inquisitiveness to be like, man, this is clearly a huge world. I think a lot of us who remember our first day of PT school were like, you know, holy cow, this is a lot of information. Imagine going to your first conference and it's kind of like, holy cow, this is a bunch of stuff. And so, but, but that kind of gets that motivation to say, let me, let me get, you know, kind of get involved. Let me put my name in anything I can find. Let me meet as many people as possible. And I think, you know, you and I know going to a conference and, 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 and meeting one another and meeting others that we've met along the way and kind of making that spider web of really who all is out there um, who can offer you any assistance, any, anything you can, um, you can take that could be used for your advantage. Um, take it. But yeah, that first conference in Charlotte, man, that was great. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's really cool to see like overwhelmed, but super excited. Will Stokes first year now being like a CI and I'm super involved in APT North Carolina, et cetera, et cetera. So now talk to me about your role as a CI and what it is that you do as a CI for your students to then 
keep that like passion and excitement going, help them with that multitasking, that mentorship, et cetera. And like, what are you doing then to help them ease into clinician life? I, 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 the first thing I do is I immediately come to the student and say, listen, I, I'm, I don't want to come across as some sort of, you know, authoritarian kind of role. I'm a colleague, you know, I'm, I'm coming at you as an equal, you know, first day, uh, a lot of a lot of us felt, you know, our CIs were like, you know, uh, these 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 great experts, and I have to kind of live up to their expectations and stuff. And and I've had CIs like that, so I promised myself that I would be that kind of, I, I kind of come in it from a more comforting standpoint and say, listen, you know, um, I, I'm I'm coming to you as a colleague. We're gonna be uh, treating together. I'm not going to throw you to the wolves. You know, I don't believe in any of that kind of stuff. That's, that's not conducive to your overall education and time in my clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I try to make as, as much of a comfortable, but yet inquisitive learning environment. You know, I, I don't want to necessarily just tell you the answers. I, I'd rather you kind of be inquisitive for why something you're seeing is happening. Um, and then try to go find because I don't know everything. I, I, I people say I know a lot of things. I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. I have to go and look. I'll, you, I'm, you'll never find someone who says they know everything. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people out there have a chip on their shoulder and be like, "Oh, the the CI knows everything." No, I mean, I, I'd rather it be kind of like a a team effort. Mm-hmm. Um, but we start small go build on one thing to another to another and kind of keep building that foundation. And then wherever the student wants to go, wherever we, wherever we can take our skills. Um, like I said, in, in the blog post, uh, I, I try to show you everything there is to being a clinician. You know, obviously I start, I think it's obviously the most important to, to, to really hone in on the skills, you know, obviously. Uh, from a patient perspective, you know, communication and, and, and working with different patient populations. You know, some people have, I work in a private practice uh, industry um, in orthopedics and, and sports performance. So not a lot of people have seen that kind of patient population. Mm-hmm. So the first few weeks is more or less just kind of getting an idea about what population we see, the yeah. kinds of conditions and kind of uh, limitations and surgeries and different things like that. So, then from there we build up and then we go as far as pretty much uh, covering all documentation, um, any changes in documentation. I know if anyone of you is keeping up with a lot of advocacy efforts, you're realizing that insurance is constantly changing and our APTA is right on the money and right on the ball being one step behind, sometimes a step ahead, making sure that everything is taken care of so that us as a profession is well taken care of from a from an insurance standpoint and a patient access standpoint. So um, being able to do all that and and kind of really transitioning my student, uh, even though they might not have graduated yet, they are almost a full fledged clinician without you know well, everything leading up to obviously your your licensure exam. But but they feel they feel pretty confident when they finish that they can pretty much take on any task, any, any uh, challenge that they are faced with right when they graduate. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So let's say people are watching this exchange chat and they're like, oh, I got to meet Will. Like, I just want to meet him and lots of people like him at a conference. So what, this question comes from Gustavo. Uh, what are some tips to be more efficient in that networking process when you're at a conference? Is there anything that you recommend, especially now as a student? Um, thinking ahead to when we become practitioners in the future. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, um, I, I think when you start networking, I mean, obviously, it's great to meet everybody. You know, uh, come in and say, "Listen, I am an eager student. I want, I want to try to learn and meet as many people as I can." I think from an efficiency standpoint, kind of start with who you who you want to be in the end. You know, where you want to go, what kind of your your mile high aspirations are from a bird's eye view um, because you're, you're going to have pockets of, of clinicians who are in multiple different kinds of arenas, you know, uh, based on practice setting, based on region, based on, um, you know, kind of uh, their involvement, you know, what, where they are in their own involvement uh, and their leadership and things like that. So being able to kind of meet 
people who are within your your plan you know i mean if i if i wanted to uh be involved in the academy of orthopedics you know i would try to find someone who is who is either a member of the academy of orthopedics or or a representative of the academy and go to them i mean i i, I will admit i have sent emails to the presidents of the academies saying listen i'm a I'm a motivated student. I, you know, uh, I, I'm in Charlotte. Is there any way I can, you know, meet with someone? And they are by far very, very open and welcome to, to working with you. A lot of times um, uh, there's in all the academies and of course the APTA as a whole has a, has a kind of like a member relations department mm -hmm. that is specifically kind of there to really help any, any, task or any question that you may have. And so going to them first and using that resource is great because they'll help put you with people that are in your region that practice where you want to work and or do what you kind of want to do and getting that kind of networking from there on a ground level, that that's that's worth anything I've ever seen. Um, all right. So what about those students then that go to conferences and they are not totally sure where they want to end up or they just have so many interests where they're like, there are people here from all of those specialties, or all mm -hmm. those fields, but then where do I start? The, uh, for me, it was the classes. It was the content courses, um, being able to kind of go to, because that's the thing, especially, you know, if you, if you, if you kind of, uh, if any of y'all pick up on some of the imposter syndrome uh, articles that are being put out, you know, it's kind of like I'm really, I'm really good, but I don't think I am. And then sometimes I get a lot of students who are like, I kind of like everything. Uh, I'm kind of good. Like they think they're, they're, they've been told they're pretty good at, at a lot of different things. And so um, it's it's good to at least get the content because. Uh, you know, you take a pediatrics course and you're like, that's interesting. You know, um, that may not be for me personally to say, you know, I, I, I'm interested in it, but maybe my, my strengths, maybe my passions feel somewhere else. Okay. Well, you go to a geriatrics course, go to an acute care course, go to a, a federal course, go, you know, I mean, you, you can, there's a multitude of different opportunities there. To, to kind of meet and listen to the people who work in that industry, in that setting, in that, in that field and kind of get, okay, that sounds, I'm connecting with that person with, with, with these kinds of things, you know, I, that falls in line with, with where my passions are, that, um, that, that falls in line with where my strengths are, um, my, my dreams. And so kind of sticking with, with that and utilizing those resources that are available makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. So you're the co-chair for NCPTAs or APTA North Carolina's Early Professionals Special Interest Group. So the EPS. Yeah. Mm -hmm. More about that, what that is, who's involved, um, who it's for, and then why you feel like that's really important to have available for new grads. Sure, sure. So the EPSIG, the Early Professional Special Interest Group, was founded by uh, Ann Davenport, Amanda Beatty, and myself a couple years ago. And now it's a full-fledged uh, special interest group within the APTA-NC. Um, it was kind of the brainchild of, of, the, of the state chapter and Ann and Amanda um, to be able to bridge that gap between getting those resources that clinicians use uh, every day and those resources that need to be um, maybe more readily available for those new grads. Um, and so our role in the EPSIG is to, to bridge that gap, to connect those graduating clinicians into uh, from a very local even district size local base and saying, Hey, I'm moving to Charlotte. I, I just graduated from Duke. Um, do you know anyone that is hiring? Do you know any great uh, clinics that you would recommend or a hospital system or whatnot that in Charlotte, they can come to us with our connection with the state chapter and those in the different area. We're able to kind of connect those uh, to connect those people as well as if um, people who are very involved as a student and want to kind of maintain that involvement as a clinician. Cause once you become a clinician, you're, you're a voting member 
of of the APTA, um, you get a little bit more um, of an increase in your role and responsibility. So we try to make sure that those savings and those that value of being an APTA member you take advantage of, um, because sometimes, like I said, it's very hard to. You know, you obviously you can see the value as a student. And then when you get a clinician, it's kind of like I'm, I'm so busy with everything else. How do I maintain my involvement? That's where we come in. We help kind of maintain that involvement and then obviously progress it as you over those next few years transition into an early professional and then into a, you know, a more experienced, tenured clinician. So um, it's a very good resource. And I highly suggest if you're anyone listening who's in North Carolina um, to, to definitely join. Yeah. Are there, um, I'm not totally familiar. Are there early professional SIGs in every state? Is that something that y'all kind not, of. Not in every state. Um, the one that we, there are uh, more active SIGs than others. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we kind of modeled ours off of very uh, active uh, SIGs in other states and kind of look to see how they kind of run theirs and how they're able to to communicate with their students kind of on the end to make sure that when they graduate that they don't have to uh, figure out where we are, that we're kind of already, in, you know, on their docket as soon as they graduate. Um, but uh, it's becoming more of an area of need and it's getting more popular and popular. So I put money in the next year or two. I'm sure that pretty much every chapter will have an EPSIG uh, of some sort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anybody listening, if you're about to graduate, that might be something to start in your state, look into it. Or, um, mm-hmm. um, But speaking of state involvement, Jake has a question about um, state chapters and how receptive you feel like. I mean, you're from North Carolina, so you probably know mm-hmm. North Carolina best. but how receptive you know of state chapters to be to new grads seeking that APTA involvement? Um, they, I would probably say, honestly, in the last five, 10 years, state chapters have been very, very welcoming to new grads and, and early professionals um, becoming very active um, because a lot of the issues that are, that the state chapter is dealing with directly affects uh, early professionals and young young clinicians. Um, so, and a lot of the very active members who are who are running the state chapters um, are having a hard time trying to find new new active members to fill in their places. Uh, if you go onto APTA Engage, you'll look and see all kinds of opportunities that other chapters have put out for new members to run, new nominations for for director positions mm-hmm. and different SIG leadership and different kind of positions and involvement. So the, the need for our generation, if you want to call it, of, the, of early professionals to, to get uh, our hands in there and get, uh, get active and, and really help maintain and progress our state chapters is definitely there. And I think a lot of the state chapters have uh, all met and, and you can listen to many past uh, speeches from Dr. Dunn, the, the president of the APTA, who's, who's made messages and statements that said, you know, we are the, the generation of the future and uh, our profession, you know, is a hundred years old coming up soon. And so we are the ones who are going to make sure that uh, we're going to make the next 100 years uh, even better. Um, so I would definitely, if you're, if you're uh, right there at that cusp of graduating or early professional uh, yourself, reach out, say, Hey, you know, how can I help? How can I get involved? How can I help you uh, accomplish those, those, those objectives and uh, that, that strategic plan? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like we've talked a lot about um, how to get involved when you graduate, um, especially APTA wise, but then I feel like haven't touched as much on what sorts of potential obstacles to anticipate when you do graduate, when you do start making that transition. Because I would say now being a third year, having just finished my second of three rotations, I feel like I'm now making that transition already, right? Like I feel mm-hmm. like the transition doesn't necessarily start until grad, uh, doesn't like wait until graduation. I'm already starting to look into jobs and to talk to various um, places about like, would I want to work there? Would I not? And so I'm starting to feel that stress. I've got my boards coming up in a few months. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the obstacles that you feel like students um, either might not anticipate and so should be aware of or just like common things that you've seen, especially being a CI, having had multiple students? Um, Good question. Um, 
there's a lot of obstacles and they're going to happen. Uh, for instance, I've got a previous student who's um, now fiance actually took a job um, in, in a whole nother city. Mm-hmm. And that's on the other side of our state. And she was not expecting that. You know, she was thinking that she was going to initially start, you know, maybe stay in the Charlotte area and keep everything pretty local. And then all of a sudden her other counterpart uh, took a job and, and they're like, OK, well, um, you know, obviously we want we can't let that opportunity go by. So mm-hmm. I'm going to have to now start looking for jobs in another place. I think it's great that you're getting those ducks in a row early um, because you you wouldn't want to graduate and kind of have a a short time in between graduation and take your licensure and then get an opportunity on the other side of the country. You know, it happens, but if you can uh, almost semi plan for that and, you know, say, listen, I've kind of got, uh, I've communicated with this hospital, with this clinic, I've, uh, got at least an opportunity available. Let me position myself either geographically mm-hmm. or from a from a kind of a clinic skill standpoint to be able to take advantage of the opportunity once I graduate. Um, I know for myself, my wife and I, we we moved uh, into a area that was more convenient from where my all of my rotations were going to be, mm-hmm. um, and I knew that at least one of my opportunities was going to pan out and I, I, I would much rather say, you know, to the employer, listen, I, I, I'm uh, in process to, to move there um, and be very, very close. And it's convenient for me and convenient for them to have me close. So if you know um, kind of at least an idea about where you want to go, say, Hey, you know, I've got some opportunities in the East coast, or the West coast or, or, you know, wherever, Go on and start looking at least, and if you know you're going to have to move, if if it comes to that, because that's obviously a big stressor. That's one of the biggest objectives is, listen, uh, and you can go on to the, the DPT student Facebook page and probably five, six times a month, you're going to find someone that says, you know, how do I, how do I prepare to take my test here and then get my license transferred to another state? So that's a huge stressor, you know, uh, and that takes a little bit of, time to prep and plan for. So getting those things addressed before, um, that's one big thing off the plate. Yeah, makes sense. Um, any other sort of obstacles that you feel like you've come across or that anyone else has come across? You co- talked about traveling, potentially having to move, mm-hmm. keeping mm-hmm. family in mind. Um, um, I, other obstacles in like really transitioning is, is I think, confidence. That's a big thing. Um, confidence in kind of themselves, confidence in uh, like, man, this is, I felt, you know, I would have had enough time to really practice these things, but uh, time is going by so fast. You know, typically we have so much fun that 10, 12, 16 week rotations fly by. Yeah. And that's how it, that's how it should be. I mean, it should really be a great learning experience, but a lot of the obstacles are um, where the, the students are like, you know, I don't feel I've gotten, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm ready I don't feel like I feel like there's still more to practice and more to do. Mm-hmm. And and when that's the case, when we finish up our rotation, usually I stay in contact with all my students, mm-hmm. even way past after even they take their exam um, to say, listen, you know, we can stay in touch. I'm always here. I'm, I'm not just because the CPI takes me off of, you know, takes my name off. I'm not going anywhere. Um, you know, I still have fellow students who are now early professionals themselves who still you know, ask me questions. You know, hey, I've got this. I've got this patient case. I just can't crack it. You know, can you help me? I'm like, absolutely. Remember, we're a colleague. We're we're. This is a team. So, making sure that uh, some of those early obstacles, because a lot of times um, you may be in a case where you don't have that 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 clinician right next to you that can quickly help answer a question. You know, sometimes you are. Um, you know, either by yourself, or sometimes you're with a, a, a technician, or sometimes you're with um, uh, someone else who also doesn't know the question, you know, mm-hmm. the, doesn't know the answer. So, and that's, that happens a lot too. So keeping that network open and, um, and being able to have that, that, that relationship to get those answers questions takes a lot of the, the obstacles out. Yeah. Awesome. So in terms of, we've got all these different obstacles potentially coming our way, not to like scare anybody and say that like the transition is necessarily going to be hard because it may not be right. Um, however, if we do need, something to like walk us through that stuff. 
in terms of resources to use that transition. You talked about yourself being a resource for your students. You mm -hmm. talked about the network that you might build by going to conferences, being involved in the APTA, um, and other you know local community things while you're a student. Um, and you talked about the APTA North Carolina EPSIG. Are there mm -hmm. other resources out there that students slash early professional clinicians should be aware of um, to help them ease the transition, whether that's financially, whether that's like traveling, whether that's oh yeah for people who aren't taking their boards till later, like in whatever context you want to kind of go with that. Well, yeah. Um, well, for a standpoint of uh, financial, you know, a lot of the big the big buzzwords now is student loan debt. Because mm -hmm. um, once you graduate, you know, you get that that letter in the mail that said, "Hey, you've got to pay back X amount of dollars and X amount of years," you know, and um, that can be very daunting. And and uh, it, it would go, uh, it would be unjust if you kind of said a lot of new grads are are looking for jobs that have the best package to pay back that student loan debt. Um, and and that's fine because that's obviously you know a big ticket on your on that's a big stressor that's a big obstacle is you know I I have these dreams but I kind of have this debt that's kind of being carried with me and I need to get that addressed fast so thankfully uh, the APTA has the Financial Resource Center yes. which has a ton of information available mm -hmm. it has everything from pretty much an entire uh, series of webinars that tell you you know. Uh, what are loans and how to pay them back? And this is this is access to all to all members. Uh, and you can even start this when you first start school. Obviously, um, it's it's encouraged to to take advantage of that resource as soon as you start school, just so you know that you are getting um, a, a good um, uh, package as far as your loans go. If you have to use them through your education. But if you're graduating, it tells you here's how to understand repayment plans and interest rates and different things like that and service loans and service grants and things that uh, are available if uh, if those can apply to you. Mm -hmm. um, as far as, uh, you know, as traveling, you know, there's your networking, there's your, you know, find a PT, find a member, um, Facebook, social media, mm -hmm. um, anything that's available. Um, usually all of us have you know, three people that we know that are at least uh, relatable in, in what you're looking for. So you contact them, they contact three more people. Soon you're going to get an answer back from that connection. Um, reach out to your your state uh, chapter. See if they have an early professional SIG developed uh, and, and they can have resources specific to students and early professionals such as uh, career starter dues, which is the great resources to take advantage of to maintain your membership after you graduate. They've also got a lot of information about, okay, now that I'm a clinician, you know, we have CEU reporting uh, every couple of years. Um, how do I learn about that? You know, those resources are available. So contact your state chapter, make sure that they have an early professional SIG. If they don't, like user said, you know, grab a couple of your um, of your colleagues and see if you can't form one, if they already have one, uh, take advantage of those opportunities and those resources that are available. The, the, the resources are out there. There are a ton. Uh, there's almost a borderline too much, too many resources, which is why it's good to, to at least have, a, uh, have someone kind of like a point person help divvy through all those resources to make sure that you're not you know, sitting there by yourself having to sift through it all, that you kind of have someone who's at least experienced it and, and has used it uh, and knows where to find it and can help kind of uh, teach you along the way how to take advantage of it. Yeah, for sure. And I guess me being so, not so far removed, but being a little bit removed from my program, now being in clinicals all year long, I guess I didn't even mention that like your professors are a great place to go as well. Um, uh -huh people within your program. So I hope Duke doesn't see this and call me out. On <laughs> but um, obviously use everybody in your life um, that you've got uh, because everyone has different experiences too. I remember I um, had a phone call with my MSK professor because you and I share an interest in orthopedics. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was asking him about like various, um, just like what to look for in a job um, and kind of where to work. And he was able to provide a really good perspective on all the different types of jobs that he's worked, um, all the different places he's worked in and out of ortho and then now in teaching. Um, and so that was really nice too, because it wasn't so much that I knew he was going to be a really solid resource in the information that he gave me. That's just something that I knew that I trusted him as a mentor and I mm -hmm. knew that if 
MSK professor. And so then to get to talk to him and learn more about him, I would say that's kind of a form of like internal networking too. I was in his class the entire year, but that stuff came out and we were able to talk a little bit more professionally once I was in Kentucky and doing my right. Absolutely. And same, same. Yeah. You know, while you're a student, you take advantage of your professor, say, listen, I'm learning about this now in class. You maintain that same relationship, you know, uh, and, and be, you know, once you graduate and say, look, and I'm, I'm now in a clinic using this information, I'm applying this information, this material, this, this skill set, what have you, and, and they'll be able to, to help you. I, I have taken advantage of all of my, my mentors in my program at Wingate and still remain very close with them because, like I said, you know, they're, they are a wealth of knowledge. They're a wealth of experience. And, uh, you know, being able to, 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 to call them back quickly and say, listen, I've just gotten into a, a new experience I haven't uh, had before. You know, what would you do? You know, um, it's the same. It's the same kind of uh, mentor tree if you want to. And that's where I kind of feel especially um, mentorship and, and, and clinical and, and instructing is kind of more of like a helix mm-hmm. versus just like a linear pattern just because – uh, a, a student may come to me with a question. I come to my professor with a question, but sometimes I ask the question. Sometimes my professors ask me questions. I mean, it, it you're going to get this back and forth kind of networking uh, uh, questions and and mentoring and and connection that that you can take advantage of. Uh, but but keeping those relationships close gives you someone to really go to quickly in your transition. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially when you know you take over the reins as a as a patient healthcare provider, um, you you want to make sure that you can maintain any of those connections because the more connections you have, the better resources, the better utilization you have. I think in in the long run, uh, you'll become a very 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 good uh, clinician, um, and your patients will certainly love that for you because you'll have the answer like, you know, like some of the comments, you know, um, before, you know, obviously, yeah, a patient would, would love for you to be a genius and would love to have you have an answer, but they, but I can tell you as a clinician, they, they love knowing that you're going to find the answer out for them because everywhere they've been, no one has uh, taken advantage of, of, no one has, has tried to step in and answer their questions for them. They just say, go to someone else. Mm-hmm. So I say, listen, let me call some colleagues of mine. I'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always find the answer and they take advantage, you know, and, and we get them where they where they need to be and everything is wonderful. Um, and so knowing that as an early professional, you know, you're not going to get thrown to the wolves of the labor force. You're going to always have those connections. It gives you a good peace of mind, good confidence, a good confidence booster that no, regardless of where you are in the country, if you're on the other side of the country or if you're doing mission work on the other side of the world, you're always going to have someone with you who can help you at, at any step of your career. Yeah, for sure. All right. So talking about working in a clinic, um, Jake has a question for uh, getting hired and actually becoming that early professional. Um, so his question is besides competence in treatment, what qualities are clinics looking for when they're hiring a new grad? They, they want, from my standpoint, they would really like having students who are, um, who are able to kind of take the reins on, uh, especially an outpatient standpoint, you know, we, there's a, um, a lot of kind of leadership there just because, um, you know, versus the hospital where you're kind of in this giant pool of providers, you know, in a, in a outpatient standpoint and a clinic standpoint, um, you know, I, I'm the clinic manager in the clinic I work at now. So mm-hmm. my next, uh, my next supervisor up is the owner. Um, but I've got staff under me. I've got students and, and, and uh, other technicians and interns that I work with. So seeing someone maybe with that kind of, um, involvement that may be that motivation to say, you know what, I'm, I'm looking to uh, grow your, your company. I'm looking forward to kind of in expanding your, your reach as a clinic, as a company, you know, we want to make sure that we can expand our services so that we can reach more patients, right. um, you know, as a, as a, in private practice, you know, it's, 
it's you always want to make sure that you're providing a great product and your product is not only the skills that you provide your patients, but it's their experience coming to you because in a private practice, they, you know, they can pick up and, and they can choose to go to another clinic um, and, and try to get a different experience. So we want to make sure that we, that, that we give them the best experience possible. Right. So uh, kind of doing some research behind whatever clinic you're applying to and kind of seeing like what their message is, what their mission is, what do they really hone in on? Um, what do they kind of really, what, what do they really try to provide their patients? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's different about them from another clinic? And discussing that with the with your own with the employer uh, with the person interviewing you and say, listen, my values kind of line up with yours, um, because it, I think it's easy for an employer to kind of pick up that 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 maybe you're just wanting a job straight out, regardless of what may be involved, um, and and getting that that first job, you want to make sure it's a it's a really good opportunity because. Um, that's where you're going to do a lot of your learning is that first clinic job. So you want to make sure I would think you would, you would want to make sure that that your first job is an environment that is conducive for learning. You know, you, you want to make sure say, Hey, you know, is there someone who I have available to meet for mentorship? Um, you know, uh, you don't want to get into deep, too deep over your head um, just on that first job. Cause that can, that can cause a lot of stress and, and that can drop your, your confidence down as a clinician. And then that can just be bad. And then we don't want that. We want to be successful. So, uh, reaching out and kind of learning everything you can about that particular setting and, and hospital setting or, or wherever you may, uh, want to end up, um, definitely helps. And, and an employer will definitely appreciate that. I feel like things are coming full circle. Cause I feel like that's the exact advice that we've got applying to PT and PTA school where it was mm-hmm. like, the program and learning their values and making sure that you're just as good a fit for them as they are for you. Yep. Same exact thing. It's the exact same situation. You know, you, you know, you're applying to a PT school and they're going to look at and say, you know, why do you want to be a physical therapist? It's the same question that they play. You know, why do you want to be a clinician in our company or our clinic or our hospital and say, you know, I, I, I fall in line with your, with your mission, with your vision. Um, I love the resources. I, I love your involvement, things like that. Um, and that definitely makes it just a bigger connection um, than just saying, I just want a job. I'll take anything. Right. Exactly. All right. So talking about um, we talked a lot about mentorship and looking for a job where they're going to provide adequate mentorship and the type of mentorship that like you're looking for. So Caitlin's got a question um, that kind of goes in a different direction, which is how do you start to wean off of the need for mentorship? Um, she says mentorship is so key and valuable, but I've been worried about becoming too t- too codependent uh, on a mentor rather than involving evolving into that independent clinician. Good, good question. Um, it, 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 it really depends because I feel that um, the mentorship can cover lots of different aspects. Um, those who kind of seek a little bit more, I try to find out kind of the reason why, you know, is it, is it, are they a little bit apprehensive of their clinical skills uh, are they a little bit apprehensive on documentation? Um, are they a little bit apprehensive in uh, contacting uh, surgeons' offices and other uh, healthcare professionals that we cross-refer to and, and back and forth? Um, so I, I try to to try to find out, um, and usually it comes out of just easy conf- uh, co- uh, communication. You know, I, I try to really say, you know, just just you know, from a, from an informal standpoint, you know. Uh, what do, what do you feel um, is is some of the weakness that you're 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 or the apprehension that you're having, and depending on whatever they feel, because you know you'll know if if you're if you're uh, constantly asking the same questions, um, or or you're you're asking your mentor or your CI, you know, to kind of help run through the same thing. Then me myself as a CI, I, I take advantage of say, listen, if it's a particular like set of skills or it's diagnostics or it's whatnot, then during breaks after work, um, anytime we have a little bit of a, of a, of a dead time, we take advantage of that and practice those things and kind of really just refine and kind of solidify those things. And then as the student becoming, becomes more confident in themselves, you know, you obviously will see. Uh, they won't ask those questions anymore. They kind of really take the reins on that. Um, 
I'll do a little bit of role switching where I'll be the student and they're the clinician and kind of see how they can help uh, uh, relegate and delegate things to me um, in a, in a particular patient interaction standpoint. Um, And that really builds up their confidence. And then from that point, it just, you know, that, that sometimes that mentorship just, it never really stops and it never really, you know, starts and stops. It's kind of an ongoing thing because sometimes that mentorship grows as that patient grows, you know, it it just goes from more or less um, kind of phase to phase to phase to phase. And depending on where that student is and what they've got coming up, then, then that mentorship kind of alters and changes into what can I help provide you? What kind of resource can I provide your advice to get you where you want to be? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it may fluctuate in, in amount, but I don't think it really ever stops. Okay, great. Um, so you've talked a little bit now about your role as a CI, what you do for your students. And now David has a question that asks, um, you know, you mentioned how you create comfortable learning environment between CIs and students. How can we as students help create that relationship ourselves? You, I, I think it's best if, uh, um, if like that first day, you know, or even before you even start a rotation, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll reach out to your CI and kind of introduce yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great standpoint to kind of just start by saying, listen, uh, my name's Yusra. I'm, I'm, int- I'm really interested in orthopedics. I, I would like to learn kind of this thing. Maybe here are my bird's eye view aspirations. Um, you want to kind of give that CI a, 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 at least a snapshot of kind of, who you are and where you want to be, because that helps the CI from an initial standpoint say, okay, I've got this really motivated student who's coming, who, who knows they want to do ABC and, and they want to want to work in, in this field or they want to, they want to treat this particular patient population that helps us because then that way we can going forward, help make sure that we position uh, my student in that uh, that learning environment. You know, if it's someone who says, you know what, Will, um, uh, I go to such and such university, uh, I would really love to work with amputees and prosthetics and orthotics. Great. Um, let's, every time we get a patient in who um, is seeking you know, orthotic prosthetic care that, that is an amputee, why don't we really make sure that, that you kind of take the reins on that and kind of get to really learn and experience that, that treatment of that patient population. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can go, that principle goes across any particular patient population or um, if it's a particular condition or, or what have you, then uh, if I can help make, my clinic be very conducive to that. You know, obviously if it's someone who we don't, we may not see those kinds of patients. Great. Because what we can do is we can go out and connect with other providers who may see those patients and connect with them and say, listen, you know, we are a physical therapy clinic that would love to, to build a partnership and be able to kind of uh, see and help co-treat these patients and things and get that ball rolling. So you know, I'm all for expanding uh, my own clinic or, or my own ability to in our community to to access our patients. So if you um, if if you want to come in and you want to learn a certain thing, definitely tell your CI and say, listen, you know, by the end of this rotation, I would love to experience this, do that, do this. That gives the CI a good kind of foundation to say, okay, let's let's work on that, you know. Um, and then that way, it's kind of like a goal for the both of you. Right. And I love that you create those opportunities for your students too, that you don't just say like, oh, we don't do that here. Or like we don't yeah. this here. And well, you're, you're going to hear a bunch of people go through that. You're going to get, you're going to get a lot of those. Uh, some of your classmates or, or people from that you're going to run into may have been in those kinds of situations where they're like, uh, you know, this was an okay kind of rotation, but I really didn't get a lot out of it because it didn't offer me anything that I was really interested in. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's, it's really a, a lost opportunity because, you know, you're, you're there to really learn and I am there to teach. And if, if, if I am not teaching and you're not learning, then we are not doing our job. Um, and if I'm not being a good steward of my profession and being able to kind of 
trans, you know, transfer what I know and what I've learned into you so that you can join our profession as a colleague, knowing everything I know plus more, then that's how you get the ball rolling. And that's how, like I said, kind of coming full circle, that's how we make the next 100 years even better. Um, so you definitely want to make sure that you're getting everything out of your rotation, either it's your first rotation, your last rotation. You want to make sure that that you are getting everything out of that rotation um, and that you want, that you can, even if it is a rotation that, you know, may not have been your top choice or may not hand out the way you wanted it to. I can guarantee you there you're going to get a lot out of it if you kind of meet your CI halfway and, and you really get on a good mentorship level um, and, and kind of say, listen, th- these are my, these are my passions. These are my values. And that's great. That's what you want to be honest with your CI and both sides. You both want to be honest with each other. And, and, you know, you want to say, look, what can I, what can I learn? Cause I can, I can almost guarantee you that you're going to leave there learning a ton of information and it will be very worth your while. And that's, like I said, that kind of is the, 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 the best result as a student on your last rotation uh, transition. You make sure that, you know, listen, I, I had four or five rotations. Um, I had phenomenal learning experiences. I feel now that I'm graduating or shortly, you know, shortly after graduation, I feel like I've got a very good foundation under my belt um, that, you know, regardless of where I go, I, I can, I can hold my own. I can, I can kind of, uh, begin to build on more and kind of, you know, further refine where I want to be. And so, and that's the, that's the, that's the whole goal. Yeah. So sticking along the lines of talking about building that CI student relationship, um, building up students in their clinical setting, be that um, in an outpatient clinic and in a hospital, whatever. Um, Kelvin's asking about students who, um, whose primary language maybe isn't English, um, but who like speak English, who understand English, um, but may have some hesitation with especially clinical rotations because they are a little bit of a higher stress um, experience, I feel like, just because there's this kind of like you need to prove yourself type mindset that a lot mm-hmm. of people are with. Oh, yeah. Do you have any advice for students who have that potential language barrier or for who people may perceive they have that language barrier and how they can kind of get past that? Like, would you recommend that just being like keeping open communication between them and their CI or... Um, do you feel like there's more that can be done? I I I would definitely say make sure that the open communication between between the the CI, especially if the the especially if the student feels like they you know I I want them I want everybody to feel as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. I want everybody to feel as confident as possible. So coming to me saying, listen, um, I I. You know, there, I may be a little delayed in in being able to kind of communicate, especially if it's a busy clinic day and you've got multiple patients in, you know, in and out. I mean, it's just kind of a lot of chaos. You know, that can be very stressful to someone who has a language barrier, and I've seen it. And you you definitely don't want to put them in a situation where they they can't um, uh, comfortably. Uh, respond the way they want to. So typically what we do is we just say things very slow. You know, let, let's start slow one-on-one. Let's make sure that we got, you know, at least from a, a, a language perspective that there's enough time to, to, to relay what's going on and, and translate what's going on and then translate back uh, to the patient uh, what they want to do. Um, I always find that that uh, if there's like a private area in your setting um, where it's a little bit quieter, that always helps just because there's less distraction um, because it's the same situation as if I have a patient with a language barrier, right. you know, uh, um, they just may need a little bit extra time and, and, you know, they don't want any extra distraction. So I'll say, Hey, let's go to one of the exam rooms where it's a little quieter it's a little bit more kind of, you know, casual. We can, we have all the time in the world. Let, let's, you know, talk about what's going on. Um, and that definitely helps, but having it, you know, having someone with a barrier like that, um, for instance, you, you know, you don't want to be right in the middle of a clinic and have 10 people talking to you at the same time. And you're trying to answer 10 many questions. It's, it's, it's not conducive, you know, you know, start small, build up, make it comfortable, make them confident. Yeah. Very cool. 
All right, talking about money, we got about five minutes left. We're going to try to get this last question in from Gus. Any tips on negotiating a salary as a new grad? Good question. Good question. Um, I, I will say, in, in short, I will say, don't don't sell yourself short. Um, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of good resources. WebPT puts out a lot of good resources. Um, obviously, uh, Ben Fung does. Um, with Updoc Media about kind of what the market looks like as far as averages of of uh, uh, new clinicians, experienced clinicians, uh, different settings, different regions, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of start there and say, okay, uh, this is kind of globally uh, or even in a region. Say, you know, I, I know I'm going to work in, in Charlotte. I know I'm going to work in a certain setting. This yeah. is kind of regional specific. This is kind of where an early professional uh, uh, clinicians should get paid. Um, uh, so kind of starting with that, but also know that it's not always about just the dollar amount because there's a lot that goes into that. Um, you also have, uh, benefits and pack in, in retirement package and medical benefits and CEU package and, uh, vacation time and PTO. So sometimes just the sheer dollar amount doesn't necessarily equate to having all a very good package, you know, from me, uh, I have a very good uh, CEU package because of my involvement. Um, I was able to kind of get a lot more CEU money. So I was able to utilize that to be able to afford to, to go and be involved as I am in, in multiple things. So that was very much worth it. Um, if you, if you're already looking, you know, down the stream and you want retirement, great, get a good retirement package. Obviously, like we talked about earlier with like student loan debt, um, some places, um, more now than others have kind of more of like a, uh, a sign on bonus slash tuition reimbursement package. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely research those because sometimes those are, uh, more like contracts. So, you know, you work two, three years and, and, you know, we'll help pay back on your loan some, you know, so make sure you read that fine print. So it's a total package thing, but I would definitely come in it with, when you meet with an employer or someone, uh, I would look at the the total package. You know, sure, put a number down, but you know that's obviously within that reasonable level. But then, kind of address these other facets and say, you know, I would, I you know, getting paid one amount and only having to work eight to five is great versus getting paid the same amount and having to work seven to seven. You know, clearly there's that's that's more time away from your family. That's that's more time outside of other things that you would like to do. You got to have that work life balance. So if you come at it from like a full picture, full package deal, there's a lot of room in there to negotiate um, either more or less EU money, more or less vacation time, more or less uh, 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 of, a, of a just a sheer salary standpoint. So. Um, and this, and an employer is going to love that too, just because, you know, they don't want to come in with just a number because right. that number doesn't always equate to the in total uh, deal that it comes with uh, joining, a, uh, joining the workforce. You know, there's a lot of other numbers that come into, come into play there. So mm-hmm. um, definitely take advantage of those resources that are available and, um, and kind of look and see like what you need, where you are regionally, kind of where you need to start and then kind of give them those and, and, and work your way from there. Yeah. Last question. This one comes from me. If you could go back and give the student version of yourself one piece of advice, what would you say? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Um, Oh, gosh. Uh, My student self. Um, Which is funny because that wasn't that long ago for you, I feel like. No, no, it definitely wasn't. I mean, golly, I mean, you know, it makes me, it sometimes makes you think that it's been that far away, but it really hasn't been that long ago. Um, But I would, I mean, I would probably say if I had any opportunity, I think looking back, now I'm the the opportunist king of the world. I never say no to anything, but I think that there may have been opportunities in the past that I think I probably just passed up on because I I didn't feel I might have been prepared, qualified for whatever. Uh, I, I, I might, I've had my own little bit of a apprehension, you know, even though I, I feel I've, I've got a good level of confidence. Right. Um, I think, I, I think that there might've been opportunities in the past where I 
let that guard up. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to do this. It's not going to work out. I kind of had that, you know, just let's just, let's just close it out kind of thing, kind of, kind of mentality. If I could have maybe just dropped that, I, I, it could have taken me, uh, it could have put me in a different situation. It could have sent me down another, another path. Um, you never know. You never know. But like I said, that's why I kind of closed that with saying, you know, always take advantage of every opportunity you have, because every opportunity that's going to present to you is going to make you a better student, a better clinician, a better early professional, a better steward of our profession and your community. So, um, you know, just take, you know, just follow my advice and don't say no. <laughs> there you go. All righty. Thank you so much, Will, for joining us tonight. Thank um, you. Fine. I hope everybody else did as well. Uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out and keep the conversation going? Uh, I'm on Facebook, um, you know, William, William C. Stokes. Uh, you'll find a picture of me and my daughter, Ella. She's wrestling me on the floor. So you'll find uh, you'll find us on Facebook. Um, you can email me. Um, I'm not on Twitter as much. I'm more or less a Facebook kind of guy. Um, but uh, you can get my email on there, um, uh, Twitter. Um, my, I work for, uh, Greg Ott Center for Physical Therapy. We're a private practice in Lake Norman. We have a Lake Norman, a Charlotte and a Mint Hill office. So if anyone is in the greater Charlotte area and would like a really good, uh, learning opportunity within some good orthopedic sports performance, I'd highly suggest checking us out. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll always be in touch. Yeah. Hit him up. What's your middle name? What's the C stand for? Clifford. Oh, nice. I love that. Mm -hmm. It suits you. All right. Thank you, everyone who joined us tonight. Be sure to follow the APTA Student Assembly on social media to stay up to date on when the next exchange chat will be. Have a great night. Bye. Bye, Good night, everyone. Bye.